You're listening to L-Town Radio, the Livingston Library Podcast. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the March 2024 episode of L-Town Radio, the Livingston Public Library podcast. I'm Joe from the Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, and coming up in this episode, Hung May will play a clip from a beautiful and timeless tune, and Jessica will highlight some of the best books headed to our shelves this month. But first, I want to introduce this month's guest. He's someone I was especially excited to speak with. His name is Mark Moran. And he grew up right here in Livingston, and along with his old friend Mark Skirman, he is one of the founding editors slash publishers of Weird New Jersey. Now, if you don't know, Weird New Jersey is a publication that's been around for about 35 years and counting. Uh, It started as a newsletter before evolving into a magazine. It chronicles the endless supply of weirdness that you can find all across the state of New Jersey, from local legends and folklore to alleged hauntings and ghost stories and other paranormal activity to any other kind of unusual, peculiar, idiosyncratic, or outright bizarre people and places that you can only find right here in the Garden State. In addition to publishing the magazine, Mark Moran and Mark Skirman have published two Weird New Jersey books, both of which are available here in the Livingston Library's print collection and which inspired a whole series of weird brand books for dozens of other states across America, not to mention the weird U.S. TV show that Mark and Mark hosted and which aired on the History Channel back in the mid-2000s. Personally, I'm a really big fan of what Mark and Mark have done with Weird New Jersey. I think it's not just fun and interesting, but it's truly important work compiling all these stories that capture the inimitable spirit of our great state. So... It was a tremendous pleasure and honor for me to talk with Mark Moran about things like growing up in Livingston, about exploring and discovering weird stuff in his youth, including a terrifying encounter involving a mysterious cult, uh, about an article he wrote for the magazine, uh, which may have, in fact, inspired David Chase to create The Sopranos, and about a possible weird New Jersey TV series that's been in development for a year or so now. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Moran. So you were born, what, 61, 62? 61. Okay. You were born in Livingston? No, I uh, was originally from um, an area of uh, Old Bridge called Sayre Woods South, Mm -hmm. near Sayreville. Um, then went to Bloomfield and then ended up in Livingston by the time I was uh, four years old. Okay, so so you're there in like the 60s and 70s, basically? Yeah. And so it what... A, it was small town America back uh-huh. then. Yeah, so what, was, what comes to mind when you think about being in Livingston in the 60s and 70s? Well, it was really, um, I mean, it was it was not that different from Mayberry, you mm-hmm. know, if you remember the old Andy Griffith show, the, the town center was really the only place where there was uh, business, um, and uh, most, most moms still didn't have cars, most uh, places were, you know, still um, 
you know, one car household. So, um, you know, you would walk up to the shop, right? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with your uh, shopping cart, and uh, that, that and it was it was like you know, small town USA. There were still farms here and there in town. The mall hadn't been built yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was pretty pretty kind of middle America, but you know. Uh, not so <laughs> a little more eastern uh, right. middle America has moved further away I guess now right. so even in the, like the late 60s and early 70s when you start having the you know the counterculture and the psychedelics and stuff did that kind of we didn't see infiltrate any of that. No. no no we didn't see any of that I mean you never heard the Vietnam War mentioned you mm-hmm. know we had the um, the annual Memorial Day parade. I don't know if they still do that, but it was a big deal. Um, there were no protests. Uh, it was it was not culturally cu- culturally diverse. Believe it or not, there was one African American family in the entire town back then, mm-hmm. a single family, um, and everybody else was. You know, just, you know, regular white people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, now it's very diverse. You have a lot of um, um, Asians, mm-hmm. uh, Indians, um, I guess, from, you know, I guess that all started with the, the medical, you know, facilities that were built. Um, but, you know, it was just a very different place than it is mm-hmm. now. Not not saying it was any better or worse. Right, it right, was right. just, yeah, but no, you didn't, you didn't know that. The, the Vietnam War was going on, or I mean, they did never. Uh, there was no avenue for that to ever really come up in conversation. I'm, I'm sure there were people who were losing their children in it, but mm-hmm. but uh, it, it, I was too young for that, so it didn't really have much of a an effect on us. Mm-hmm. So, did you did you discover your fascination with weird things while you were still there? Or- um, did you go out exploring? Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, back in those days, um, kids were really not attended to much by their parents. Almost mm-hmm. everybody's parents worked, um, and uh, there was no such thing as you know daycare or anything. I mean, nobody went to daycare. They opened the door for you at seven thirty in the morning, and they expected you back around six o'clock. Uh, for dinner, mm-hmm. where you were in that twelve hours in between, the eleven hours, twelve hours was not even thought about. Never came up. Of course, you didn't have cell phones. You couldn't get in touch with your kids. They could be anywhere, and and we were anywhere. Um, we did a lot of walking. We did a lot of biking around town. Um, but the um, the um, firehouses all had a, a siren. And at six o'clock, they, they, they rang that siren, and you could hear every anywhere in town, and, and you knew to get home for dinner. Mm-hmm. Do they still do that? Do they still have the six o'clock whistle? I don't I don't hear a whistle, but there's um, Saint Philomena's uh-huh. is right by the, the the library, so they do church bells at like oh, six o'clock every yeah. day. Yeah. No, it used to be the uh, all the firehouses uh, did it, so wherever you were in town, you could you could hear it. And, uh, 
who's a good thing to have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, especially in the summer when it's so light out, you really have no idea what time it was. We didn't wear watches. No, you know, of course, you didn't have a cell phone or anything. Mm-hmm. So, but so in that time, you know, you got to uh, wander around, and uh, I was always, I was generally in the woods mm-hmm. um, all the time. Um, we had Canoe Brook ran close to my house, so we would go up and down the, the, the brook and uh, see what we could find. Um, if you could find water anywhere in town, you would you would migrate toward it. There wasn't much water. There was a little pond called uh, Memorial uh, Park called uh, Little's Pond, and then there was um, uh, Cane's Pond on the old Cane Estate, which was basically just wood at that point so uh, but uh, you know things like that that, that that there were in the woods that you would find it's like there was the, actually a place where there were dinosaur footprints you know mm-hmm. uh, up by right Riker Hill oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, they it was a, that's when they really discovered them was during that time and it was it was a big deal and just the idea that oh my god there were dinosaurs walking in my town and I could see their footprints it was mind-blowing they actually, when they excavated, they, they outside the library, they had um, a big stone with a, a dinosaur footprint oh, in yeah, it. Yeah. And I'm, I, I don't know what they ever did with it. I'm sure it uh, eroded over time because it was just in some soft shale. And they had it right outside the, the main entrance of the library. And uh, I don't know, you could watch it sort of <laughs> deteriorate as time went by. I don't know whatever became of it. I'm sure it's somewhere. Do you have any specific memories of stumbling onto something particularly w- weird or intriguing? Well, or what my favorite uh, activity was, and I think that the um, statute of limitations has passed now, so I can say this, was I would be in every abandoned house uh, in town. Mm-hmm. That was my true uh, driving, you know, the, the thing that really fascinated me more than anything was going into place. So then there were old farmhouses where they had just gone abandoned and they had, they, you know, it's not like today where they, you know, the inside would be full of graffiti and, and, and all windows would be smashed. They were pretty much intact after having been abandoned for decades, some of them. So every time you went into one, it was like um, just stepping back into the past and, and um, looking, you know, in the, if I was in the 1970s as a kid going in and um, it was like stepping through a doorway into the 1950s. And uh, since so much was left behind, you really got, you know, you wondered, it really inspired the imagination. How did these people live? You know, how did they... How did this come to, to be abandoned? You know why? You know who were the people? Who were the family? There were families that, that lived here, kids that grew up, mm-hmm. and uh, and who knows where they went? But it, it really inspired the imagination. And there were there were, I mean, I had them all memorized. They they were all over the place, and mm-hmm. uh, you know sometimes they were like right in the. I mean, there were all so many you know, old roads in town. And they, they eventually built developments around the the, um, the old farms and stuff. But, uh, you know, originally there were only a few roads. So the old roads would have the old houses on them. And then there might be, you know, a, a little strip mall built next to it. But the house still stood there, you know, they, and I knew all of them. And uh, they never got renovated. They all got torn down eventually. But when they were, when they were still, they were a major source of uh, inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. 
We'll come back to my conversation with Weird New Jersey's Mark Moran in a moment, where he'll discuss the beginnings of Weird New Jersey, as well as a terrifying experience he had as a teenager involving a mysterious and sinister cult, and how an article he wrote for the magazine about a notorious Livingston mobster may have inspired the creation of The Sopranos. But first, we're going to take a quick break so Hong Mei can share a special, timeless, beautiful song. Scarborough Fair is a beautiful English folk song that was popularized in the 1960s by Simon and Garfunkel, a popular duo that set many top chart awards. The song dates back at least to the mid-17th century. The lyrics are about a man trying to attain his true love's affection. Please enjoy this timeless tune. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Remember me to one who lives there. She once was a true love of mine. Thank you, Hung Mei. It's always lovely to hear some Simon and Garfunkel. And now, Here's part two of my conversation with Mark Moran. I'm a big fan of uh, Chris Gethard's podcast, your old co-worker. West um, Orange. Boy. Yeah, New Jersey is the world. And one of my favorite parts um, is when he'll talk about like the rivalry between West Orange and Livingston growing up. Was that something that existed? Yeah. <laughs> I was never a guy who was uh, into sports. So, you know, there were there was a, a tremendous sports rivalry. I, I don't think it exists anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the school sports, it was always the big thing was, was the West Orange-Livingston uh, rivalry to the point where there was a boulder on the outskirts of town. Um, that uh, it's still there, but unfortunately, back in the day, uh, the thing to do, um, it was on Shrewsbury Avenue just before you uh, got to what is now 280. 280 wasn't there then, of course, but um, it's right on the border of West Orange and, and Livingston. So depending on you know which team got the most... Um, um, I guess fanaticism. They would go out there at night and just paint the rock, you know, all the Livingston colors and you know Lancers this and mm-hmm. uh, whatnot. And then you know the next day, West Orange would paint the rock. It it, it, it happened so much that the paint was about an inch thick on the on this rock, mm-hmm. and you could take a toothpick and press it yeah, <laughs> right yeah. into the into the paint. It was so thick. Um, 
but spirit like that doesn't happen anymore. I guess now yeah. they just probably slam each other on social media. Yeah, <laughs> I'd prefer that people just go out and paint a specific yeah. rock, you know. It was I mean it, it was you know, nobody got beat up. It was it was just um uh, it was shit talk, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know it's something to that. It's it's good that you have you know. Of course, our our world was very small then. You know, people in Livingston. That's all they knew. They didn't. Nobody went anywhere. You know? <laughs> all they knew was what was in their town, uh, and that's that's how weird New Jersey started. We mm-hmm. um, um, we based it on the premise. Now you have to remember this was way before the internet, mm-hmm. uh, that, that every town had, had at least one great local story. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, there was no way to share them. So really, Livingston didn't even know West Orange's stories. Um, but when we started putting out the magazine and it started to circulate at a, as a newsletter, uh, and people would write to us uh, with their local story, uh, it became like a, a community bulletin board, you know, way before, you know, Facebook, where, you know, you go up there now and I'm from, you know, it says, I'm from Livingston. Does anybody remember Silverman's, you know? Uh, <laughs> but uh, back then, none of that existed. So the only real way for people to share these stories was, was through Weird New Jersey. And uh, that's how I got involved uh, when, I, when I got my hands on the first, like, Xerox copy of Weird New Jersey that... Um, my partner Mark Skirman had put together. Um, I was like, "Well, you know, I have a couple stories from Livingston, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and that's how uh, I I started to contribute to to him." Do you and, remember uh, what those stories were? Yeah, I remember exactly what they were. There was um, uh, when I was a, a kid, there was always the um, the legends, <laughs> the the rumors that there was a. a uh, a mafia mansion on the outskirts of town. Oh, the Boyardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, we always knew it was there. And this was at the time of The Godfather, you know. So mid seventies, everything was about uh, crime families, and uh, the Boyardos um, had a huge complex out there. Uh, not only the the mansion that Richie the Boot Boyardo built, but also outlying houses for all of his uh, children. And then elsewhere around the area, you had houses for all of his capos. They all lived up on that hill. And um, everybody knew not to drive through those gates mm-hmm. and go up. And uh, I, I, the first story that really fascinated me was that, that um, one of my friends, we were in Cub Scouts, I think, uh, and um, uh, one of her friends took the wrong turn and went up the driveway with oh, a bunch no. of... <laughs> Cub Scouts in the car, and, and she did. Yeah, you know, she was looking for some place. I mean, maybe she was looking for Riker Hill Park, but of course, then that maybe it was like around the time it was they had a di- the dinosaur display up there. But instead, she turned into the Boyardo, which are really only about a hundred yards apart. Those two driveways. Mm-hmm. So she went in there, and um, <laughs> she was met at the 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 top of the hill by. Um, armed guards oh, that, that no. came up to the car and saw her there with these these poor little Cub Scouts in the back seat of the station wagon. So I loved that. Um, of course, Riker Hill uh, Park, before it was that, um, right around that time, um, before, prior to the dinosaurs and, and the art, um, was a Nike missile base. Uh, 
So the idea that we had, like, during the Cold War, we actually had um, a, a, a launch site for um, nuclear-capable uh, missiles was uh, terrifying yet fascinating. That, that the missiles weren't actually in Livingston. A lot of people think they were, but they weren't. That was the radar site. Um, the radar site is always located about three miles away from where the missiles are, so that they can triangulate and guide the missiles. <clears throat> the missiles were in silos in um, East Hanover, uh, just down the road, um, and, and that base actually had um, nuclear-capable missiles. The, the Army still won't tell you, and I, I have interviewed the, um, uh, the commander of the base at the time, and still they will not tell you which, ba which of the bases in New Jersey had nuclear warheads and which didn't because mm -hmm. um, there were two different kinds of missiles I don't want to get too complicated but there was the Nike Ajax and the Nike Hercules uh, some of them carried some of them didn't they were designed to, to they would shoot them off and um, when a um, squadron of incoming Soviet bombers uh, would fly over the New York area um, if they did have a warhead and they got close up, they could blow up the entire squadron of planes. It's not just meant to hit a plane. You just detonate it in close proximity to the squadron. You take them all out with, yeah. with a single weapon. So it was great. Uh, you know, we never actually used them, but we had, you know, a dozen or more bases in New Jersey, a ring around New York City and a ring around Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Um, which are still there, you know. You can still go up to uh, Riker Hill Park and see. Well, a lot of people think they're launch pads. They're not. Mm -hmm. They're actually um, radar towers. Um, but still, it's fascinating. It's uh, it's been very well preserved. Uh, a lot of the other bases uh, are not in such great shape. But so that was fascinating. But the one story that really um, did it for me was. When I was in high school, what, what everybody did in high school back then was they would hear something, like just a rumor, a little tidbit of something, and you went out with your friends and, you know, you went out to investigate these things. Now people just go on Google and they look something up and all the fun's gone, you know. But back then, there was none of that, so you would have to get in a car with your friends and you heard these rumors, and the rumor we heard was that there was a castle, and it was just a, a one town over. And it was on top of a mountain, mm -hmm. and it was this this dark, foreboding-looking, Frankenstein-esque castle, and um, and inside was a cult, and um, and if you went up there at night and they caught you, they might sacrifice you, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> they might you know subject you to all kinds of um, satanic rituals. So this sounded great to us, you know, when I was 17 years old, you get a case of beer. And we headed off to Mysterious Monk's Castle in Verona. Mm -hmm. And all you have to go by is you don't know how to dress or anything. You just know it's late at night, it's dark, there's a car with five, um, you know, 17, 16, 17 year old boys. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're like winding your way up through Verona, close to the Montclair border. Uh, you're winding your way up this mountain, and all of a sudden there's this stony wall, and there's this passageway through the wall, through the gates, that leads further up the mountain. Now it's just woods on either side of you, no more houses. And we turn the corner, and we see this castle. 
and it, it is this it's just like something out of a, a medieval uh, Europe stone turrets the whole thing and inside we can see there's people in there and they're, they're glowing in the window and we're like oh god yeah. we, we like try to muster our courage yeah. to go peek in the windows and this was like it was fall it was, all the leaves were down the trees were blowing it's this you know really cold like October November night crunching through the leaves out there and uh, and that's when that's when everybody's um, that's when everybody's courage just <laughs> flew out yeah. the window and it's like okay you know and everybody just so I'm not going <laughs> oh you're so brave you go no I'm not going <laughs> and I'll tell you right then you know I thought maybe uh, you know go back to the car have another beer is a good idea mm-hmm. um, but then you have to wind your way down this t- this like little tiny one lane road through the woods again mm-hmm. um, but as it turns out all the stories were true there was a castle there was a cult um, at the time the cult was uh, we didn't know any of this of course because we did had no way of, you know we couldn't research anything right. um, once again, remember, no internet. <laughs> um, but they had been having a lot of fear in Montclair because uh, this uh, uh, cult had moved into the castle. They purchased it, and um, uh, people were afraid of what might be going on up there because it, uh, it was touted as a sex and drugs cult, mm-hmm. which, in fact, it was. It was um, the, the cult of uh, the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, mm-hmm. um, who had um, come from India, um, uh, gained a large following, um, took all of his followers' money, and they all lived in the castle. And he had, um, he'd drive around town in one of his many, many Rolls Royces. And, uh, and he got so big uh, with the premise of uh, promising people, um, you know, a freedom through sex and drugs and, and cult life that... Um, he actually had to move because he outgrew the castle. <laughs> so he uh, went to uh, Antelope, Oregon, where there were so many of his followers there, they outnumbered um, the, the local residents, so they changed the name of the town from Antelope to Rajneesh. And uh, he basically took over the, the entire area, and then things got very nefarious. His um, One of his... Um, followers, uh, his second in command started poisoning town council members and whatnot. So, you know, if they voted against anything uh-huh. that Rajneeshis wanted and, uh, it, it was they, a Did mess. they make a documentary there about this? HBO yeah, it's starting to come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it became very, uh-huh. um, famous, but there, there was, there were years in there in between the time in Verona Montclair, um, and between the time all of that happened, there were years that they were just living, uh, they had gone away, everyone had kind of forgotten about them mm-hmm. until I, I remember I told this story to, to Mark from we're New Jersey and we, we printed it and everybody's like, oh yeah, I remember that happened, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, um, 20 years ago. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I we're, uh, we're New Jersey started in 93. And this was in the seventh issue, so uh, eighty-two to you know, fifteen years had probably wow. passed in between the, the two things. Um, so I, 
I got to really follow up on the story, which I love to do. Um, it's always the best thing for me is, is um, uh, uh, tying together the local legends of a place um, with the actual history, you know, and see where those two things collide and um, uh, in intersect with each other. And just to show people that these crazy stories don't just spring up out of nowhere. You know, a lot of times they have they have something behind them. Yeah, so I, I guess those were my uh, my first my first two stories that I wrote um, were the um, monk's castle and uh, um, the uh, the Biardo story. Um, and I think that I, I could be wrong. <laughs> but I think that the Biardo story might have had something to do with the impetus for The Soprano. That's what I've heard, yeah. Uh, because um, when I wrote that story, I know David Chase, who was from Caldwell, mm -hmm. was one of our subscribers. Oh, really? And the oh, next wow. thing you know, he, you know, of course, he grew up in the area, too. So, mm -hmm. you know, but I don't know if people from Caldwell were quite as aware of the uh, Biardo story as we were in Livingston. Right. Uh, I mean, of course, he was... You know, he was famous to the, the 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 FBI and people like that, but people really spoke about the mafia in very hushed tones mm -hmm. back then for obvious reasons. Right. But anyway, you know, David Chase, he he knew about it. It was a local story, and uh, he he modeled the Sopranos after uh, that family and shot it in the same neighborhood, basically. You know, it was always great about the Sopranos everywhere. You know, you go around here, yeah. you, think, you recognize all the different um, sites. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, it's, I watched The Sopranos in, in real time back when I was living in New York City and loved it, of course. And then when I moved back here, I rewatched it and it was so cool seeing, like, oh, I know where that oh, is. Yeah. I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> My daughters <laughs> wanted to take me on a Sopranos tour. Um, and I said, well, that's no problem. That only took a few hours. You don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> so I took to every location, you know, everybody's house from, you know, from the show. Um, and then we ended up at Halston's in Bloomfield for the, the final supper, the last supper. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, that was probably the best, best TV I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, and yeah, I was on TV at the same time, so it was kind of nice. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the weird US <laughs> yeah, we're show doing our History Channel yeah. show. So, so it was a good time, yeah. good time on TV. So, considering you did kind of go around the country for a while, exploring weird stuff in other places, would you still say that New Jersey is the weirdest state in the US? Well, or every state is I, weird in its people, own way. Yeah. When people ask that question, um, I, I always tell them, you know, we, we always knew we could make a book on any state. And we did. We, we, we must have done 35 different states um, during the, the series of the, the Weird U.S. book series. But um, I said there's only one state where you can do, well, we're on the 62nd issue of the magazine now. So we've done two whole books on New Jersey. Um, 67 issues of the magazine and I'm going to say about 10 special issues on top of above and beyond the 62 so um, yeah I don't think you could do that anywhere else because yeah. New, New Jersey is just so uh, diverse it, it has everything you know it has everything in every respect it has every kind of people mm -hmm. it's got 
one of the longest histories of any state. Um, you know, we're one of the f- first you know states to be founded, and uh, so we have longer history than most states. Um, much more diverse population. We have um, the t- topography uh, 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 f- ranging from everything from mountains to um, to to, to um, uh, seashore to the pine barrens. Uh, the diversity of um, uh, just the the natural environment is so conducive to, to all the, the stories. I mean, what, what we, of course the Pine Barrens sprung <laughs> a legend like the Jersey yeah. Devil. I mean, of course. Yeah. Even, <laughs> just, even just driving past it gives me, gives me the willies. Yeah. Um. We are going to take one more short break before the final segment of my conversation with Mark Moran where he'll talk about a potential weird New Jersey TV show that's been in development. But first, let's welcome Jessica, head of our Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, to tell us about some of the most anticipated new books headed to our shelves in March. Hello, L-Town Radio listeners. Are you as excited for the new books coming to our library shelves this month as we are? Here is a list of just a few of the newly published titles soon to be available at the Livingston Library. Please note that descriptions are taken from the publisher. The Couple in 58 by Lisa Unger, March 5th. A couple inherits an apartment with a spine-tingling past and an unputdownable thriller from the New York Times bestselling author of Secluded Cabin Sleep 6. The Hunter by Tanya French, March 5th. From the New York Times bestselling author of The Searcher and one of the greatest crime novelists writing today, a spellbinding new novel set in the Irish countryside. Murder Road by Simone St. James, March 5th. A young couple finds themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel from the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Book of Cold Cases. Never Too Late by Daniel Steele, March 5th. From the number one New York Times bestselling author Daniel Steele, a stirring novel about a woman striking out on her own after loss as her adult daughters try to find their own independent paths in life. The number one lawyer by James Patterson, March 18th. Move over, John Grisham. Biloxi's best criminal defense attorney has never lost a case. Then his wife is murdered, and he becomes the nation's number one suspect. James by Sir Percival Everett, March 19th. A brilliant, action-packed reimagining of the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, both harrowing and ferociously funny, told from the enslaved Jim's point of view. The Princess of Las Vegas by Chris Bojalian, March 19th. The princess is fake. The murders are real. From the New York Times bestselling author of The Flight Attendant and The Lioness, a Princess Diana impersonator and her strange sister find themselves drawn into a dangerous game of money and murder and the twisting tale of organized crime, cryptocurrency, and family secrets on the Las Vegas Strip. Everyone is watching by Heather Gudenkoff, March 26th. A mysterious high-stakes game proves life-threatening in this twisty thriller from the New York Times bestselling author of The Overnight Guest. The Truth About the Devlins by Lisa Scottolini, March 26th. Lisa Scottolini, the number one best-selling author of What Happened to the Bennetts, presents another pulse-pounding domestic thriller about family, justice, and the lies that tear us apart. Which of these new titles are you looking forward to checking out from the library this month? We hope to see you at the library soon. Bye! 
Thanks, as always, Jessica. And now, here's the conclusion of my conversation with Mark Moran. Speaking of Weird New Jersey being on TV, uh, I remember reading a while ago there was a Weird New Jersey TV show in development, a kind of uh, fictionalized version. Is that still in development? Well, Sony has the option Mm -hmm. at this point. You know, um, every once in a while someone will come along and say... Um, you know, can we you you know make a show about your story? And we're like, well, if you know if they're kind of reputable and they, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well, you know, Sony came along and um, certainly <laughs> you can't mm-hmm. say they're they're not reputable. Yeah. You know, biggest one of the biggest companies in the world. So um, we said, okay, so they kind of they you know they have the option for a designated period of time to try to put something together. So they've got writers and producers and it, it's, a, it's a tricky thing getting something on TV because you need uh, so many different moving parts have to align. You know, you have the writers, the producers, um, uh, then you need, uh, you know, you have the production company, but you, you need, um, uh, a network or a streaming service that's, you know, going to sign on for talent is the big thing. So I stay out of it mm-hmm. until they actually say, okay, it's a green light. Then okay. I come in and I'm a consultant, you know. Right. Um, I gave them all the material to work with. Uh, you know, they have enough material to work with. For, they could have seasons from now until doomsday, you know, <laughs> after 30 years of doing this. We've got a lot in the, uh, in the vault. Um, so I stay out of it because otherwise... What am I, you know, I, every once in a while you hear from, oh, we got this person on board. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. <laughs> and then just, but that's Hollywood yeah. talk. You yeah. know? <laughs> so. so is there anything uh, that Weird New Jersey is working on outside of the magazine and the website and all that uh, for the future? Well, we, you know, we're always working on the next issue. So it's, um, it's really, you know, it comes out every six months. So it's... Um, Whatever's going on in the state right now, you know, it's a compendium of, of all of that. Uh, so that's really our, our main focus. Um, we also appear, uh, Mark and I both appear on a travel channel show um, called uh, Paranormal Caught on Camera, right. where, where we're um, the commentators, which is a great gig. I mean, they, they, they show you videos and you, you tell them whether you think, you know, what, what could this be? Is this an actual Bigfoot they've captured or an actual ghost? Sometimes you say, no, definitely not. Uh, they edit that out and then they, they use the one where they say, well, it certainly yeah, it could, could be. be. It looks yeah, like a ghost yeah. to me. Um, so that's fun to do. It reminds me of um, when I was a kid, uh, they had a show called In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy oh, yeah, yeah, uh, as, the, as the host. And they would just go out and they, you know, they would do these bits about um, you know, Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or something, you know, flying saucers. And this show is very much like that. So I'm basically sitting there like Leonard Nimoy. You know? I, mean, I didn't capture this stuff on video, but I'm, I'm going to... You know, I have an opinion about it, so right. that's what I do. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, we do that, and um, you know, we do a lot of events. We go around the state. We we do um, presentations. Um, we appear um, at at conventions, um, uh, things like that. You know, yeah, it keeps us pretty busy. 
you know, it's just a two-man operation, so mm-hmm. you, you can't spread yourself too thin. Right, right, right. You know? But you never know. It's like things are new. Things are coming up all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, partnerships and uh, and different things. You know, someone somebody wants to put out a weird New Jersey beer or mm-hmm. a, you know something like that. You know, if 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 they're local and they're you know it's a good product. You know, we'll we'll you know get on board with that. You know, we like to drink beer. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well. Mark, thank you so much for your time, and I want to genuinely thank you for thank you, what you do with Weird New Jersey. I think it's a, a great thing. Well, it was great doing. to uh, come and reminisce about, uh, about the old hometown. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this episode of L-Town Radio. Thanks to Mark Moran for taking the time to be on our show. Again, it was a tremendous honor and pleasure to meet Mark And it was wonderful to see what a cool hang he is. I could sit and listen to him talk about his experiences and adventures for hours and hours and hours. Thanks also, of course, to Hung Mei and Jessica for your contributions to the episode. And of course, thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in again next month. Remember, you can listen to and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, and Apple. You can follow us on social media over on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can read our daily blog at livingstonlibrary.org slash blog. And you can visit our website, livingstonlibrary.org, where you can search our catalog, browse our events calendar, or use a number of our many, many digital resources 24 hours a day. And of course, we're open seven days a week for all your librarying needs, so I hope you'll come down and see us in person as well. Till next time, stay curious 